Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. In just a few minutes' time, John Fardy will be here with Screen Time. John, what's on the show this week? Well, I'm delighted to say I have Paul Giamatti and wow. his co-star, the uh, Golden Globe winning actress, uh, Davine Joy Randolph, on the wonderful new movie, The Holdovers, which is absolutely delightful, where Paul Giamatti plays a school teacher looking after kids who can't go home for Christmas in a kind of prestigious secondary school, as we would call it here. It's absolutely delightful. If you like Sideways, that great movie from about 20 years ago, uh, you'll love this. And you'll love my interview with Paul Giamatti. I'm very excited for that. He's just one of those people. I said this last week uh, when you were talking to George Clooney as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, just name drop there, lads, to pick that up there, John. Um, George George Clooney and Paul Giamatti always strike me as people who play ball in interviews. Yeah. You know when you see people doing uh, the very short hit interviews or the Graham Norton style interviews, they give the same level of attention and whatever. And I'm sure from your point of view, that makes it a much better experience. Absolutely. And they actually listen. And I, as you'll hear in the interview, after six, I brought up Sean O'Casey just by chance. Mm. Paul Giamatti and uh, Davine were cracked into him and and so like they're paying attention he's a proper interviewee yeah um, I want to talk to you briefly last week on the show I was talking about comments by Christopher Nolan in which he was encouraging people to buy a physical copy rather than watching movies on streaming services mm-hmm. uh, and we on Saturday night watched Oppenheimer I hadn't seen it did you watch it at home yeah. we watched it at home we bought the or Harry bought the 4k um, yeah. Blu-ray mm-hmm. incredible yeah. And I could see the benefit of having the Blu-ray version rather than a streamy version. Yeah. Uh, but that to me, I can understand all the hype around it and I can also understand all the awards and the accolades that it's getting. Mm-hmm. There were, I don't think we can still do spoilers at this stage, right? But there were so many famous faces that popped up in that movie that I did not know were in the movie despite it having coming out over the summer. Yeah. Like Gary Oldman, Casey Affleck. Yeah. Like... It's a stellar cast. And so did you think it looked amazing? Yeah, it looked incredible. So there are certain directors that you have to see their movies in the cinema or on a kind of 4K Blu-ray version. There's a whole point that they make movies that they're not making TV shows. And Christopher Nolan is one of them. Wes Anderson is as well. You have to see these things in a certain way. That's what they intend. So I go along with them completely. Oppenheimer is a fantastic movie. And I say, I've already told this story this week on this station, so forgive me. But my problem with Oppenheimer, and it's an incredibly personal one, is just that I had a bad week with it. because I, I remember you telling me this. And there was a power cut. So yeah. I was there for four and a half hours. And then I was due to interview Killian Murphy. And I was washing my face that morning in preparation and the actress strike hit. Now, they were perfectly entitled totally. to strike. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. But it's just I have this strange relationship with that movie because it gave me a bad week. Yeah, no, that is it's fair. It's a great movie, though. Uh, the other benefit of buying the 4K Blu-ray... Mm-hmm. We got a second DVD in the box that had all these extras. Yeah. And for the first time in, I couldn't tell you how long, I watched all the bonus features. And uh, there's one about the making of the movie. Yeah. And they go into such depth. And you can understand and fully appreciate the power of the IMAX camera, mm-hmm. the director of photography, the set designer. You sort of sound like me now. I'm not that bad. But it, it does give you a greater understanding and appreciation for the art of the movie, even the visual effects. Very little of what you see in the movie was done by CGI. Yeah. They have a whole team of people oh, know. who are like shaking marbles in a drawer to make it look like the solar system. Yeah. And it's bananas. And to make it look like it was in the 1940s and 50s and stuff like that. The other thing though, and it's a very interesting point, is, and I don't know if there's any 
psychological or even neurobiological reason for this, but I think that there is a different feeling. If you and I were about to watch Oppenheimer or any movie, and I could watch it on DVD or you could watch it on a streamer, there's something different about owning that DVD or Blu-ray and putting it in and pressing play. Like there's, it's a different relationship. So I'm all in favour of having tangible media still, you know. Yeah, do you agree? You can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Uh, Paul Giamatti and a stellar lineup as ever coming up in just a few minutes' time with John Fardy on Screen Time. John, thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, if you're looking for more of a documentary rather than a movie to watch this weekend, may I suggest this? Ready? Go! I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I play video games. It's a constant drive to be the best at something. When you want your name written into history, you have to pay the price. The fact of the matter is, Bill is the best classic arcade gamer of our era. I've probably seen Steve with tears in his eyes more than any other guy I know. Oh, he's just come up short in a lot of things in his life, and I just think... Nobody wants to do that all the time. Well, Donkey Kong, without question, is the hardest game. That's a tough machine. People think that the machine is possessed. The average Donkey Kong game doesn't last a minute. It's absolute brutality. Mysterious player from the West Coast, Steve Weeb is here. He could beat it if he... He'd have to have a really good game. You want to put a score up, you're competing against everybody in the world. It's not even about Donkey Kong anymore. He's a very devious person. He works things out to his ends very well. Well, Billy Mitchell always has a plan. headquarters gonna help you well maybe they'd like it if i lose i gotta try losing sometime no matter what i say it draws controversy that is a snippet from 2007's the king of kong a fistful of quarters which is a sensational title. Like, Let's just acknowledge that from the outset. Uh, it's one of the nerdiest, most intense things I've ever seen. It follows the story of gamers Steve Wiebe and Billy Mitchell. And what should be the race to be the top scorer on the original, unmodified Donkey Kong arcade game turns into something that is like baffling, I think is the only word that is apt for this documentary. Accusations fly around the place. Reputations are called into question. And an almighty years-long battle ensues. The fallout from the events depicted in this documentary have continued right up until this week when it was announced that Billy Mitchell's score was to be reinstated to an extent on the Twin Galaxies website six years after they were removed. You really need to watch the documentary to fully appreciate the bizarre nature of it all, but I would highly recommend it. Uh, It's on YouTube. Just search for The King of Kong. It's so enjoyable. You will see the drive and, let's be honest, a bit of the madness that comes from competitions of this nature. So again, it's The King of Kong, 
watch it and then fall into an internet rabbit hole about Billy Mitchell and the battles that he has faced to get to where he's gotten to now uh, this week in January 2024. It's fascinating. Uh, Moving on to another saga, Apple Watch in the US. What's going on and why? Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times is with me now. Kira, I suppose, yeah, let's start there. What is happening with Apple Watch in the US and why is it only impacting the US market? So basically what's happened is Apple can no longer sell watches that have the oxygen sensor feature on it in the US. And this is down to a patent dispute with a medical device maker called Massimo, who's taken a couple of these uh, these cases against some other companies as well. So basically the International Trade Commission, which is the US body, has ruled that the blood oxygen sensors that are in the Series 9 and the Ultra 2 uh, kind of infringe on patents that Massimo holds. So in response to that, Apple pulled the Watch Series 9 and the Watch Ultra 2 uh, from sale just before Christmas, uh, if you might remember. And then they got a, kind of got a bit of a, a reprieve on that one. So they could sell it up until recently. But now it has been decided that these... Um, this particular feature, it does, uh, for the moment anyway, it does actually infringe on this this patent. So Apple are going to obviously continue to fight this, but this could take the guts of a year. So, you know, you have your option whether or not you pull the watch from sale entirely or you just disable this feature. Obviously, it's a no-brainer. So when you get a, an Apple Watch Series 9 or an Ultra 2, uh, if you buy it now in the US, you will it will come without that feature enabled on it. And apparently Apple is supposed to be working on a software change that will work on the algorithm enough that the the algorithm that the sensor uses enough that it can kind of get around this band but still actually work but for now disabling the feature itself uh, means they can still sell the the watches and you know the u.s customs and border patrol have said that this passes their the the, passes the test and, and they won't fall under the ban if they continue to sell the watch itself just with that feature disabled we know from having watched Apple uh, launches over the last few years that they've very much gone into the health and wellness space. Like the Apple Watch, yes, it's cool in terms of the uh, tech features and from a tracking point of view, but the the health and wellness uh, aspects of it are a huge selling point. So, like, could this cause huge upset in the long run for Apple's plans to be the be all and end all when it comes to health tracking? Look, I don't think it's going to be the end of using the the blood sensor in it for Apple. It'll just be in respect to this particular patent. They will find a way around it. They will find a new way of measuring it. You know, this it's worth noting as well that obviously this applies to Apple, but, you know, blood sensors, blood oxygen sensors are in almost all the smartwatches that come out now and they haven't been hit by this. It's particularly because um, back in 2013, uh, Massimo had this this device that it showed off that could connect to Apple devices. It would read uh, pulse oxygen and apparently Apple representatives and Massimo representatives met. The whole thing didn't go anywhere, but... Massimo's chief medical officer subsequently went to work for Apple along with other staff from the company. And and this medical officer was named on one of the the patents that Apple published in 2019 relating to a blood oxygen sensor. So Apple obviously has said, look, we never asked anybody to to, to do anything shady. We didn't ask anybody to bring trade secrets with them. That has been backed up by these ex-employees who said they were explicitly told not to do that. Um, But obviously Massimo is saying, you know, this is our technology. And you know, they're, they're kind of like, well, this guy worked for us, went to work for Apple. We think this has happened. 
Uh, and they have taken on other companies in the past. And because Apple is huge. This company is not a huge company. Um, Apple is a huge company, but they've taken on companies like Philips. They took on True Wearables. And, you know, they have either got settlements or, or won cases. And, you know, they feel like they have a strong enough case that they're going to keep pursuing it. Um, but I don't think that just because this case is happening, it will mean that Apple uh, will stop using this particular feature long term. Um, as I said, already, there's already reports they're working on a software change to the algorithm that the sensor, that basically the sensor is based on um, and, and how it measures blood oxygen that will allow it to... I suppose it re-enabled the feature at some point in the US. And as I said, it is important to note that it does just apply to the US for now, at least. Um, these cases have been taken with the US body. The ban that the import ban is in the US only. Um, it is a kind of a key feature in terms of health and wellness. But what I would wonder as well is how many people actually bother using it. Um, most people probably don't even realize it's there unless you're, you're you're running or you're using your your watch a lot of the time for exercise. Well, then, and you were kind of tracking those metrics. Well, then, yeah, you probably notice if it was missing. Um, but I think the hope is that this will be a short term problem that they can come up with a fix for. Yeah, well, look, we will, of course, bring you updates in this saga as uh, they continue. Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times, thanks as always for joining us here on News Talk. Now, another story that caught my eye this week. Uh, relates to Manchester United, the football team. Uh, I am obviously not a sports pundit at all, but I was intrigued by headlines that said that the club were going to start using artificial intelligence to try and enhance the team's performance. I was in Old Trafford last September with my nephew and with the little football knowledge I have, I know that they're a bit dire. But rather than it being a magic wand, uh, what they're actually doing is partnering with Manchester Metropolitan University's Institute of Sport. And there's going to be two um, new PhD programmes that are very much focused on research and innovation. And one of the programmes will use AI techniques to analyse data captured in matches to then gain performance-based insights. Now, this is something that, uh, as I understood it, has been happening a little bit, or quite a bit maybe, in other sports. Uh, But Emmett Ryan is with me now to talk through it. So, Emmett, is this going to be the end of Man United's woes by utilising artificial intelligence? I wouldn't go that far. Like, you know, the stage where the technology, Jess, everybody's sort of still experimenting. And it's not a shock to see a sports team, or really several, because I know that others are looking at it. Uh, looking for ways can we use AI now to help us get better on the pitch? But like sports tech, the way it's developed over the last few years, you know, it's one of those things where it gives you an edge temporarily, but really it's more you're running to keep up with everybody else because everybody starts using this and looking for different ways to use it. So it comes down essentially to the user who's smartest in how to use it, and essentially it's more of a thing you got to do to keep up rather than a thing you can do to stay ahead. So do we think the application of AI? for the behind-the-scenes teams could be influential? And are we seeing anything like that in American football, for example? I suppose it, it depends on how you define AI. Like AI, as people think of it right now, so it's not quite yet is a short answer. But like the level of tech being used in terms of monitoring movements and monitoring predictions of movements, like that's pretty close to artificial intelligence as it is. Like I said, AI, you know, we're sort of getting to that stage of now, well, now we're just going to do basically more maths is the really uh, long way around of putting it. But the key thing is, you got to remember, at the end of the day, you're dealing with people whose main job is to play or coach a sport. So it really comes down to how you translate that into, I hate the term, actionable insights, Jess, which is really just, you know, how you can tell somebody, right, well, this says you're doing that, but you should do this instead. 
And it's how you use it to do that, essentially. Uh, and how you convince the person that this is the right thing to do. That's what it comes down to. It comes back even to, like, I remember, you know, when Dennis Burkham was in Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, and Wenger was taking him off late in games, and Burkham was giving out. But So Wenger showed him on the day that it showed in the last 15 minutes of games, his energy dropped because he'd gotten a bit older. And he goes, oh, okay, right, I probably should be coming off then after 75 minutes. But, like, you know, it's that level of, the more we learn about how we, we perform as athletes, whether it be, you know, someone who's like you or me, who's just, a, you know, a punter out in the street doing what we can versus your top tier superstars, like the more we can improve and get those marginal improvements as we go along. Like I'm so used to the lingo at this stage, I forget how much jargon it is, like marginal gains, what they describe this as. But it, it really is that because the top level is so little between the very best performers that you're looking for every tiny way to improve, really. Okay, well, look, I found it fascinating. We will, of course, watch what happens and uh, bring you updates as and when we have them. Emmett Ryan, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for this week. Uh, next week, John Riley is going to be in looking at the impact of AI on gaming titles that are a little bit more sophisticated, perhaps, than King of Kong. And we will answer your tech questions. If you missed any of this week's show, you can listen back in full on the Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's Newstalk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.